be so in love with him that nothing else matters. And if we can get that today, I'm going to tell you something. It'll change every relationship you have in your life. Whether it's with your future spouse, whether it's with your boss, whether it's with a grandchild, whether it's with your sweet mate who's driving you crazy, it'll change everything when Jesus becomes the center of your love. Let me just ask the Lord to speak. Lord, there's been so many prayers already, and I praise God for that, because your house is, is going to be a house of prayer for the nations. And so, Lord, I, I just want to come to you today, and I just want to say, Lord, I'm asking you to just work past my weakness and, and, and my frailty. I, I pray, Lord, that as I decrease and you increase, and I pray that by faith, Lord, that people would just see Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would work so powerfully our hearts would be changed. We'd never be the same. This wouldn't just be somebody sitting up here talking. God, help me if that ever becomes that. But God, there would be a transformation, and I would come with not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit of power. So here we are, Lord. We're yours. We confess our sins to you because you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You are beautiful. And if you, done, if you don't do anything else, you have done more than enough. And in Jesus' name, we all said what? So, Galatians chapter 3, you can go on your phone, you can go to Facebook, the notes on Summit Church, Facebook, uh, and you can check those out. But Galatians chapter 3, we've been in this book, and we're going to stay in it for a little bit until we move into this new series in October. But Galatians 3, this is one of the most powerful, powerful passages to me. It's the epicenter that creates everything for us in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 12. 13 and 14. Galatians chapter 3, verse 12, 13, and 14. Here is the word of the Lord. The law, that is, Ten Commandments, that is, in the laws that we get specifically in Exodus and Leviticus, the law is not based on Faith. Genesis chapter 12. God made a covenant with Abraham. Before the Ten Commandments, there was God making a relationship with man. But we want to put Christianity into the laws. Like any good lawyer, I'm a son of a lawyer. My twin sister's a lawyer. Y'all know that? My brother is a lawyer. My nephew's a lawyer. In any good lawyer, we want to put God into a list of do's and don'ts. And let me just say, for the single people in this room, let me just give you a don't. Don't ever get into a relationship with somebody that they're consistently going to tell you, don't do this or do that. Because when they love you for who you are, it don't matter what you do. Oh, but John, it does matter. Really? While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It didn't matter what I did. It matter what he had already done. So what I'm trying to say to you in this is that everything wants to go to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not the answer. They've never been the answer. It was a way that God created. If you study Torah, the first albums, it was a way that God created for the community to live together. It's good for me not to covet Princeton stuff. 
It's good for me not to commit adultery and cheat on my wife. It's good for me to honor my father and mother. It is good for me to do those things. But that's not law. It's not the way to God's heart. I can listen. I can prophesy. I can cast out demons. But Jesus said in Matthew 7, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never what, saints? It doesn't matter. You said, but John, you're just trying to say that if it doesn't matter, if there's no law, then what's really going to drive people to do what's right? I don't wake up every day saying, I need to do what's right. I wake up every day trying to say, how can I love you more, Jesus? Because if I love, think about this, if I love my wife more, then I'm going to do right by her more. I don't wake up trying to say, what can I do right for her today? i got to wake up saying, how can I love her more today? So, the law is not based on faith. Faith came before the law. Don't let anybody tell you that the law is the answer. The law is a mirror. It shows us our dirt, but it cannot cleanse us. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Verse 13. Here is the epicenter. If we get one verse, this is it. Let's hang our hats. Let's hang everything. Let's hang all my Christianity. Everything that I do. If I were to say a customer right now, and God strike me down, and I would stand in His presence, I would be in heaven, though you might disagree. I would be in heaven because I'm not on my own merit, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Watch what I'm saying. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So here's the beauty. God created us because He is good. And as an expression of His creation, the pinnacle of His creation, He created you and me for a relationship with Him. Thereby, us being in a relationship with Him, our lives are in a trajectory that is so much better than any way we could make it. And Adam and Eve should have known it. Adam and Eve had that way. Adam and Eve was going that way. They were walking with God. And God was so good that God provided for Adam everything he needed, even his wife. And even when Adam is a place where there was no way for him to have a wife, God is teaching us in Genesis 2 that even out of the dust, God created something that he needed. If you and I are in a situation where God's God us and we are walking with him, even what we don't think we, we can never have, God can create something out of nothing. But you see, what's interesting in that passage is where God places us, he's going to give us a word. He always, God commanded to me, to the best interest in the spirit, to pastor this church, to pastor Charleston Southern. Though I kick and scream, you want to know why I can't scream? I don't like that the demands on me are higher than anybody else. I don't like the fact that somebody here in CSU might can cuss somebody out. Let me cuss somebody out. I'm calling you for a job. You got a job? Demands are higher. Demands are greater. And, I, and my flesh screams and says it's unfair. But God gave him a word. Look at Genesis chapter 2. David Dyer we talked about this so great on Thursday nights. And listen, I, some of you in this room, you need to come on Thursday night. You say, well, John, I'm 60 years old. So what? 
Last time God counted age is only on earth. Because we ain't counting age in heaven. Because I'm going to be a golden corral in heaven. You can do what you want, but I'm going to eat all I can eat forever. Get old, you start trying to watch carbs. When I get in heaven, I'm going to watch them go in me. All right. I mean, you just got to know that there's bread in heaven. God is good. I mean, bust that food of heaven called manna, so I'm, I'm just taking that all the way to the Lord. It's like a buffet in front of me. All right, here we go. Verse 15, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took man and put him, we're saints, in the garden. He was not created in the garden. Adam was not. He was put in the garden. Check this out. Put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. When God gives us an assignment, he gives us his word. And his word is his presence. If you want the presence of God, start memorizing the word of God. So what happens here is, he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will certainly die. Fast forward a couple verses, and there you've got Eve talking to the serpent. She's talking to the serpent, and then all of a sudden, Eve goes and gets the fruit, and then gives it to the man. Now my question is, what is Eve talking to the serpent when the man ought to be standing in the presence between her and the serpent? Because the word never came to Eve. That's why she got to read it for yourself. She's kind of misquoting some stuff. The reason why is because when God only gives you the word, you're also the gatekeeper of the word. You can't ask other people for the word that God gave you. When God gives you a word, you're responsible for that word. And the man tried to pass off the responsibility to his wife. Let me just tell you something. For me and my house, it ain't about my wife trying to choose this. John Davis chooses this. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Regardless of what she says, because the word came to me. You say that sounds awful pious and arrogant. I say that sounds awful biblical. When God gives you a word, don't let anybody else try to Make it happen. It's on me to make it happen. So what happened was, there was a fall. The image of God in us with this relationship that we have, there was a fall, a distinct chasm, if you will. And so what happens in that beautiful storyline that y'all talked about Thursday night so wonderful, there has to be someone who stands in the gap. The prophet Ezekiel was talking to the Lord, and the Lord said, I looked for someone to stand in the gap, but I found no one. Why? Because no one can do what only God can do. So Moses is a failure. Abraham is a liar. King David is an adulterer. Jeremiah is a hider. Isaiah is too weak. And the prophets go on and on. They are not the heroes of the story, but Jesus said the law, the first five books, the law and the prophets testify about me. That's what the word of God says. And so now Jesus Christ shows up on the day because there is a demand, as John Pike would say, that we cannot meet. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There is a perfection 
demand that God says for us to reflect and be in His presence and be the image bearers that He's called us to be. Now let me say this as a side note. I've got to address this. Some people think that God wanted sin to come so we could know God better. That is wrong theology. God doesn't need to strike me with a sickness so I can understand him as a healer. I'll break it down for you. I got some children in this room. They might not claim his daddy because you know I'm kind of trashy. But I want to protect and provide for my children. But do I need to make my children sick to know so that they will know that I will take care of them? If you saw me drugging my kids so I could get them to the hospital just so they could experience an illness, just so they'll know that I'll take care of them, who's the real person who's sick? So why would God, why would God design for sin to take place so that we could know him as better than what he is? The last time I checked, he didn't have to create us. He was good before sin, and he is good after sin. So God is good. So let me just kind of clear up some theology that was a little misconstrued construed on Thursday night. I, I, I gotta clean that up a little bit. Because why? Because God doesn't need sin to be great. He already is great. But in spite of our sin, He does something great. In spite of what we've done, He stands in the gap. In Galatians chapter 3, look what it says again, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The demand is perfection. We did not meet it. And therefore, the demand now has a burden. A burden that comes with it is called a curse. For the wages of sin is what? So somebody has to stand in the gap. In Ezekiel chapter 20, right? All the way through 22, he looks for this one who's standing in the gap and found no one. But Jesus. Jesus comes and stands in the gap and becomes a curse for us. For cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The Old Testament is quoting the Old Testament. So therefore, Christ not only fulfilled our righteousness, but he took our punishment. Now, here's what redemption means. Are you ready? Get ready to get to our, 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 our two main ideas that we're going to have to reconcile and work with the Lord with. Here we go. So what is redemption? If, 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 it's, if it's creation, fall, and now redemption, where Christ not only steps in and becomes this perfect human being for us, so that now the Holy Spirit can dwell within our broken individual beings, but now what happens, he becomes that for us, he also becomes our payment of our debt. The word redemption there, this is interesting, I want you to hear this, this redemption is absolutely brilliant. The word redemption, uh, excuse me, the word redeem, it is from the active voice in the Greek. Now what that means, I want to be a little technical. That voice means, that active voice means, it's continually doing something. It's active. When he says right here, Verse 13, Christ redeemed us. That word redeemed is a verb, is in the active voice. That means it is continually working right now. Though John Davis might sin, I am still redeemed. You tracking me? Are y'all awake? We need a donut? All right, here we go. 
So it also means this. It means to buy fully or to recognize a compound word. It means to recognize its future gain. That's what it means. So here's what's interesting. So when he redeems us, Christ recognizes my future gain. Therefore, that's why Jeremiah can say, quote the word of God, for I know the plans I... Yes. For I know the plans I have for you because I've been redeemed. When I've been redeemed, though I feel like I'm nothing, God says I am something. And God says there's that purpose. That's what redemption means. It means that there's a future recognition fully of what I can be. Though I'm not, listen, though I'm not what I should be, thank God I'm not what I used to be. So I'm moving forward. Y'all tracking me? That's what it means to walk with Christ. So here we see in this, we see this beauty of this. So uh, that's why uh, uh, Ezekiel they were prophesied in dead bones. Because when the word of God is living within us, the spirit of God is living and active. The word of God is life. It brings life. It is life. These words have power. They're not just words on the page. They're words that bring life and transformation because they're spirit. They're spirit words that speak to our spirit and bring life. So, what does redemption mean? It means the fact that God recognized us. He brought us back fully for our future recognition of what we can be. That's redemption. So now, here's my point. Two, two points. Christ's redemption brings no condemnation. Christ's redemption means there's no condemnation. If he was cursed on a tree, therefore, there's no more punishment for us. But you're saying, John, I've been, I've been my life to Christ, but I still sin. Here's what happens. See, Satan wants to, to tell you that you see you still sin, therefore you're no good. Listen, you got to remember something. I'm telling you, what you good before salvation. What makes me good is because God is good. And so he's redeemed me fully. I am going to be, God sees what I'm going to be before I ever get to where I'm going to be. And that's why there's no condemnation. For example, I, I, I see this and this word helps me understand. It, it, it means I'm fully going to be in this place. There's no condemnation. I am not going to be what I thought I was going to be. And so that's why in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, let's just turn there. Let's just turn to Romans 8. Well, this is going to make complete sense. I'm going to break this thing down. The Lord willing, the Lord's going to do it, not me. Romans 8, 1 through 4, check this out. So Paul in 7 is, I do what I don't want to do, and what I don't want to do, I do, there's no rest of me from this body of death. In other words, he's saying, I'm still sinning, I'm struggling, like I'm trying to live this holy, perfect life, but I'm not living it out. And then Romans 8, 1 comes in, this, I mean, God just comes in like a flood. You know, he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, because he knows that Jesus Christ is going to rescue him, even from everything. Then look what it says in verse 1. Therefore, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're continually redeemed. Remember the active voice in the Greek? We're continually redeemed. When you sin, God still sees you. If you're a believer, let me just qualify that. If you're a believer, if you're born again, if you died to yourself, surrendered your life to Christ, you are under no condemnation. Therefore, now there's no condemnation for those who Christ Jesus. Because, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
We have been set free because of the Spirit of God. Because of Christ's work, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. So when I sin, the Holy Spirit convicts me. John, that was wrong. Before Christ, I might feel bad about it, but if I continually sin, I feel less and less bad about it until it becomes my own. But when I'm walking with God and loving Jesus and loving God, I can't. It just eats me alive when there's something that's wrong. So you see, because of that, verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, the law was supposed to show us our weakness. The law was a mirror to show us our The law was to show us, hey, we have sinned against the holy God. But this is what community should look like. I did commandments and so forth. Look at this. For the law was powerless to do what it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus took it all. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus did for us. He became our righteousness. He lived a perfect life so that now we have purpose and direction. So now I am a new creation in Christ. And I'm saved. I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. But all things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Now this is very interesting. Because what happens now, you and I, now let me break it down for you. Let me break it down for you what I mean by no condemnation. Let me break it down for you. And I especially want to talk to some people in this room. I want to talk to some single people in the room. Because I think it's a pretty good illustration. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, what's the Bible say? Just take a guess. Therefore, go make disciples of all ethne or nations, baptizing them, right, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, or I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. So there's an assignment. So now, God sends me, redeems me, because he fully recognizes what I'm going to be, even though I don't understand what I'm going to be, and here's what's interesting what the Lord showed me. So now that I have, now that I've been redeemed, watch this, watch, I'll be redeemed, my whole life changes. There's something different. I was going this way, right, away from God, about face, I can't do that well. Sorry, I had to look over there for a little bit. And now, I'm going another way. There's a new lane for me. Look at Hebrew instructors. I'm going to start doing a lap here in a second. I'm going to burn some calories here, people, so I can eat more bread. Hebrews chapter 12. Check this out. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 3. Let's turn it. Come on. Put on your something. Here we go. This is going to make sense. We're in a no condemnation. Even when we sin, the beauty of Christ taking the curse for us means we have this continual relationship with God, even though I continually am unfaithful. Because 2 Timothy 2.13 kicks in, when I'm faithless, he is faithful because God cannot deny himself. You can look up that verse. But here we go, Hebrews 12, 1-3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud, what, saints? Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. He's saying, listen, now you've got, I'm putting you on a path. A new path. You gotta throw everything off. You gotta throw everything. 
And let us run with what, saints? The race, or the race, marked out for us. There is a race marked out. And it's, it's not a race that's a sprint. You don't have to be the same bolt. Right? It's a perseverance. It's that every day I got to get up and say, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why? Because the spirit of the living God that's living within me, driving me in this race, this lane. So I'm in a race. I don't know if I'm in lane 10, I'm in lane 1, or lane 3, but I am in a lane. Every one of you are in a lane. God's put you in a lane. And within that lane is your job. And within that lane is your future. And within that lane is a spouse. Within that lane is all these things. Because God wants to count a thousand hills. And everything that you need, He has and He's going to give you according to His riches and glory. Let's keep going. And in that lane, He tells us what to do. Verse 2. Fix our what? On who? There's a race, a lane marked out for us. Redemption, redemption puts me in a the lane. Then he says it's marked out for me. Now i got to go this way. I have to go this way, and I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Nothing else. Fix my eyes on Jesus, the author, the beginning, and finisher of our faith, because this is the faith lane. We walk by faith, not by so we're constantly looking at Jesus. We're not looking at what he gives me. We're looking at the giver. Now watch this. For the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning in shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our lane might bring some worldly shame. Y'all tracking me? People are going to look at you and say, idiot. People are going to look at you and say, crazy. Weak. People take kindness for weakness. Come on, somebody. People take kindness all the time. When you're a Christian and you're kind, people will take and try to take advantage of you. They'll say, you're a bunch of weak, wimpy Christians. Well, I want to tell you something. If I'm so weak, why don't you put the bottle in your hand and walk around the school? You're just too scared of the abuse you might take. Why don't you step up and be a real man? Because you're too afraid. You can blast everybody on Twitter, and you can blast everybody on Facebook, but I don't ever see you speaking your mind around people. Because you hide behind a screen. Oh, there's shame walking with Jesus. There's people who will try to put shame on you. And then, what's worse is we try to put shame on ourselves, but then we sing, sing songs like this. Our shame was great, but Jesus, you're what? Great. So then there is shame. People are going to make fun of me being a pastor. I make fun of pastors. Some of them are straight out weird. Odd for God. Some of them got hair that scare me. Some of them have wild eyes that scare me. Some of them dress and scare me. Some of them talk and say, Jesus, oh, I don't even know what the eye is in Jesus. That scares me. Then I look at women with crazy hair on TV. This in multicolors. I'm like scared. It's crazy. But here's what happens. My job is not to look at them. My job is in verse 2 to fix my eyes on who? My job is to be Stephen Furtick. I didn't even know what a great preacher he is. My job is to be John Davis. 
My job is to be who God said. Now watch this. This is really good. So verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. That's a shame. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So I want to give you a word. Don't lose heart today. Why? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. So this, this lady that's marked out for us, Isaiah 53, 8, I don't know if she's going to be up there because I know, um, excuse me, Isaiah 35, verse 8, I apologize, Randy. Isaiah 35, verse 8, and look what it says. And a highway will be there. It will be called a highway of what, saints? The lane that God has for you and I is called a highway of holiness. It's a lane that's marked out. If you get saved in the middle of your marriage, it is now a highway of holiness. If you get saved in your singleness, it is a highway of holiness. If you get saved at your job or at your school or when you're younger, you have a highway of holiness. It's a place of no condemnation. Isaiah 35 calls it a highway of holiness. And this is what it says. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Isaiah 40, verse 3. Then this is the passage that John the Baptist used in the New Testament. Quoting this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. God is going to put you in a place that you think is a desert. I'll go over here. God's going to put us in a place that we think is a desert. When I preached my first sermon at Summit with eight people, I never thought it'd be like this. Yeah, I listen. It's a highway of holiness. It looks like a desert now. But remember when you're deep, God sees what we're fully going to be. We don't see what we're fully going to be. So we have, we fix our eyes on Christ, and God has erased a marked out for us. There's an assignment. Now, single people, this is where it gets really good. I have a statement I say all the time. The Holy Spirit makes you. I didn't hear what you said. The Holy Spirit makes you. I'm a prime example of that. Why did my wife marry me? I have no idea. But the Holy Spirit makes you hot. Can I get a witness with some people on this campus? There are some people that are dating that outside of Jesus, we, they would never date. I'm just telling the truth. I would never put them together. I feel like I'm a pretty good matchmaker. You don't need match.com, just do the job. I'm going to start my own site, John's Tinder. You didn't think I knew about that, did you? Sorry, my kid. So what happens is, is that this is what, this is where it is. So John has a race. Come, I'm going to use you, Bobby. Come here. No, come here, Lucas. Come here. I want you. I want you. Come here. I'm going to all the time. Sweet Jesus on the stick. Come here, brother. <laughs> this is Lucas White. He's from Columbia. His mother's a professor at the University of South Carolina. But praise God, he came to the right school. All right, so. I love you, Mom. Yeah. So Lucas is single. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will make you high. Watch. So Lucas has a race to run. 
has a race that's marked out for him. This is redemption language. He's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He is to fix his eyes on who? In the lane that's marked out for him. Because God has an assignment. It's called a highway of holiness. And unholy can't mix with. That's why the Bible says. You're not going to marry somebody who's a nun. Right? Because it's a highway of holiness for Lucas. God is not going to send him somebody who doesn't love Christ. And help fulfill what Christ has already called for him to do. So he fixes his eyes on Jesus, and he's going straight to Christ on the highway of holiness, and he's in a desert place, expressing the image of God. People are getting saved. People are getting transformed. He is taking what's broken and making it right, the Holy Spirit in him, as God is moving in this race with perseverance. He is spending time with God. He is praying with God. He's broken over the situation, but this is his highway. Now, here's what I see all the time in singleness. I see all these people that say, John, I'm on this highway, and I think that God wants me to go out with this girl. And so I begin to ask her, hey, do you want to go out with me? Let's pray about it. She comes back and she says, yes, I think God's called me to be with you. So they start on the highway of holiness journey. This feels really weird. And so, and we're on this highway of holiness, and all of a sudden, she, Jesus cute you. Christ has got some moves now, people. And she says, God's not calling me to be with you. Last time I read in scripture, God went schizophrenic. So somebody heard God wrong, and it probably wasn't God. <laughs> but why did that happen? Because she saw where Lucas was going, and she said, that's not where God's calling me to be. Here's what I want to tell you if you're sitting in this room. Stop putting condemnation on yourself when somebody says they're not going to go out with you. It's not because you're ugly. It's not because they don't like your body. It's not because they don't like your finances or anything else. When God calls a race for you to run, God is going to send you somebody to help fulfill the race you're going to run. So it's not that they think that you're ugly. It's that they're not called where you're going. That was really good. Because what happens, what happens is I see a lot of people get hurt because they really think, that person saying I'm ugly. Now listen, if if, if Luke, if, uh, if I were to ask a girl out, thank you for being a blessing to me. Yes. If I were to ask, if I were to ask, if I'm not saved, and I were to ask a girl out, and she says no, then if I'm a non-believer, then yes, I'm ugly. I got stretch marks and back tap. <laughs> do you understand? All you have to do is look when you're when you're not a believer, then it's about you. And it's about that other person. But listen, as Christians, stop. We have to stop getting mad when somebody's not called in the lane that we're called to run. We have an assignment. And the last time I checked, God's not going to send us anybody who's not going to help us fulfill the assignment. Because I'm called to God first before I'm called to her. I'm called to God first before I'm called to my wife. 
say the Holy Spirit makes you hot? Because what makes you hot is your passion for Christ and where you're going. So you're running your race, and she keeps dipping in and out of your lane, dipping in and out of your lane, dipping in. Oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, you've been on my. How you doing? Boom, shakalaka. John, let's get married. Boom, kids. All right, so. <laughs> that's the way it works. So, we got to stop saying when people are not called to be with us, we are not the problem. It's where we're going doesn't match what God is telling them. That is why the Holy Spirit makes you hot. The whole, it don't matter how ugly John is. God, some, God can still send beautiful Annette into my life because it's where I'm going and the Spirit of God made this attractive, not me. So if they're not called to where you're going, that's why they're not called to be with you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, jobs, business partners. That's why families do this because somebody's going this way Somebody's, that's why Paul said, that's why Paul said, it's, it's better not to marry. Why? Because who could go with Paul in prison? Who could go with Paul when he was beheaded? Who could go with Paul into the darkness of beatings? Who could go with him into the dungeon and in chains? Who could go with him because there was a race marked out for him that he was called to do by himself and the Spirit of God? But that doesn't mean it's universal for all of us. Because Genesis 2, God says, I'll send you help, man. We all have a race marked out for us. It is a highway of holiness. We are a new creation in Christ. And then I want to land this plane. Are you ready? This is what so so redemption, Christ's redemption brings no condemnation. We gotta stop condemning ourselves. I'm ugly. I'm this, I'm that. That's not what God's saying. That may be what you're feeling, and feelings are real, but feelings don't have a brain. As one preacher said. And the second point that I would like for us to pray through now is that Christ's redemption brings reconciliation. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. I mean, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Do you know why Jesus was single? Because nobody could walk out his ways and go with him into that. Does that make sense? That's why Jesus was single. He had to die alone. Even Peter, James, and John fell asleep. Even everybody else turned away. And on the prophecy in Isaiah 53, all the sheep were scattered because the shepherd was struck. He had to do it alone. But I don't believe that God is telling you to do it alone. Because the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. But there is a race marked out for us, and within that race, we have got to be people that give reconciliation. Why? Because Jesus became the curse for us. We either, for people that don't know the Lord, they are either going to pay for the curse in hell, or they're going to let Jesus pay for the curse. Did anybody get that? We who are believers, Jesus has paid the curse. God is not angry with me, even when I said, because all the 
all on him. Do I get disciplined? Yes. Am I condemned? No. But within my lane, God is going to call me to reconcile. Second Corinthians 5, let's look there. We're going to lay this flame. And then I'm going to ask, are you willing to trust him to reconcile him? Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Oh, this is so good. Lord, give me the words to say. For Christ's love compels us. If you're there, say amen. amen. For Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. Galatians 2.20, for I'm crucified with you. And yet I, and yet I, not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, my lane is a lane that I am crucified. John Davis is dead. It is a call to die. Everything within me died so that Christ might live. John 3, I'm going to decrease, he's going to increase. And it's all about releasing the presence of Jesus. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Is everybody tracking? So we live for Christ. So from now on we regard no one from a world that's one of you. Very hard when people flip me the bird. Seriously. Very hard for me. Driving down the road, somebody flips you the bird, you're like, Jesus went out the window. I don't know where you went, Jesus, but I feel a lot of John. I'm not looking at this from a Christ point of view, I'm looking at this from a worldly point of view, God, you step in. Because if you don't step in, I'm going to step out. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do not, we do so no longer we look at it from a worldly point of view. Christ is a weirdo, a jerk, a loser, crazy, weakness, lunatic. Therefore, if any was in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse uh, 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So now on the highway of holiness, when somebody sins against us, we don't count their sins against them. Because either their sins have been paid by Christ on the cross, or they will be paid in hell. But either way, they are paid for are you thinking? This is where it's going to get really hard. Hate reading Piper. On the contrary, talking about Christ's work on the cross. Christ's work on the cross takes sins against us so seriously that to make them right, God gave his Son to suffer more than we ever could and make anyone suffer for what they've done to us. When I offend you, the offense was so great against you that God said in order to make it right between you and I, he's going to have to put that offense on Jesus. Or I am going to have to pay in hell. 
That's way worse than we can do to anybody else. Watch, I'm going to make this. Therefore, when God says vengeance is mine, the meaning is more than we may have thought. God undertakes vengeance against sin, not only by means of hell, but also by means of the cross. A sin will be avenged severely and thoroughly and justly, either in hell or at the cross. The sins of the unrepentant will be avenged in hell, and the sins of the repentant avenged on the cross. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So the toughest sins for us to forgive are the ones that are committed by the Christians against us. No, you ain't following me. Family members that say they love Jesus that are Christians, are, they, are Christians not the toughest to forgive? Oh, I can forgive a lost person all day long. People stand up in front of me, they'll use the Lord's name in vain, and they'll go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm thinking, well, one, it's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And two, I'm not Jesus or your judge. But three, if you don't know Christ, what does it matter? It's not like saying the Lord's name in vain is going to send you to hell number three. Pick which door, hell number one, hell number two, hell number three. You're heading there anyway. Right? Think about it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's not like it's going to send you to a worse place in hell. We're not talking about God takes hell. Oh, I know there's weeping and gnashing and loads of sin. And those who do more will be punished more. I get all that. But I'm talking about it's still going to send you there. Here's what's so difficult to understand. Here's why it's so difficult to forgive Christians. Because the Bible says we're to forgive. And so when some believer does something heinous against you, gossip against you, lie against you, lie to you, oh, God's telling me to be with you. Oh, God's telling me not to. Something's going on. And so we get hurt. John Davis gets hurt. How do I now, how do I say, vengeance is mine? How do I owe nobody nothing but to love them? How do I look at that person and consider others more honorable than myself? How do I do that? Here's how I know. That the sins that were committed against me were so heinous as a Christian that God sent Jesus to pay for that sin. That is how I can forgive. Because... God has taken sins against me so seriously, or the sin that I committed against you so seriously, that he put those sins on Christ on the cross. And so if the person is saved, all their sins go on Christ, and Christ paid them. That is how I can forgive. That is how we have the ministry of reconciliation, because God is going to pay for the sins, either through Jesus or that person in heaven. Either way, they're going to be paid. So let's get real. Y'all want to play with it? Sister, we're going to get real. Come on up. Thank you so much. Prophetically playing. I need it. Have people done us wrong? Yes or no? Come on. I didn't hear it. Have people done us wrong? President Patrick, I only speak for me. It's very hard for John Davis to forgive. It's hard for me to forgive. It's hard for me to forgive Christians who do things that, that to me I struggle with. It's hard for me to, to forgive people. But here's how I know I can close the path of forgiveness. That what was done against me was so wrong to God and so offensive to God 
that somebody had to pay a debt. And God took that sin that was against you and against me. And he looked at that person and he said, if you're a believer, I'm going to put a punishment that should go to you because you hurt John or the punishment that should go to me because I hurt you. I'm going to put his punishment on Christ on the cross. And if that person is a non-believer and they choose not to surrender the right to the righteousness of God and they try to live out their righteousness, God's going to say now, you will pay for that sin in hell. Because ultimately when we sin, we're not sinning against the person, we're sinning against the Lord. But then it begs this, that if I can't forgive, if Robbie sinned against me and I can't forgive him, then what I've said is this, then Christ, your work on the cross is not enough. I need to punish Robbie for what he did. Let me take you from here, God. Jesus' death, horrific though it might be, is really not enough to satisfy the anger in me towards him. Redemption brings us to the place of reconciliation. Now for us, and for believers, there's no condemnation. We know that redemption brings that. We're excited about that. We're excited that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And people say they do rituals in church that they say that makes them right with God. That doesn't make them right with God. It makes them right with the church. But being right with Jesus is when we can see evidence or when that person knows I've surrendered my life. I am now not living for myself. My life is dead. I surrender my life to Christ and whatever it looks like, my love and trust for Him is greater than my fear of where I'm going. And so we're on this highway of holiness. And the offenses will come, Scripture says. Offenses will come. The question is, will I So here's the realness of the sermon. Here's the most holy moment. Are we willing to trust God in the midst of the offense? You said, to John, you don't know what people have done to me. And I understand. I do not know. I do not know your pain. Your pain is much greater. You're exactly right. And, and, and it makes me angry of what people have done to you. It makes me, honestly, it makes me want to go to my old self and start swinging, which is not right. John, I know statistically in here, there have been some horrific sins. Right, Robbie? There's some horrific sins statistically in this room. That people, you've done nothing wrong, people have done against you. But I want to tell you that your avenger is mighty and your avenger is really good. And if that person, if that person receives Christ, he's going to put the punishment of what should happen to them on, on Christ at the cross. But if they don't submit to the Lord, they will literally have hell to pay. And that's much greater than any punishment to get in So kindness is not weakness. Kindness is trust. Reconciliation is not weakness. Reconciliation is trust. So today, I just want to ask this. Do we need to ask the Lord to strengthen our trust in Him so that we can begin the forgiveness journey? I, I, I just, I'm convinced that within this room, as a whole, we need to seek the Lord to give us strength to look at people the way God looks at them. That's why he said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He will either put his vengeance on Christ 
or he will either put his vengeance in hell. Either way, it's going to come to be trust that God is good enough to take care of the offenses that we face. And so if you're in this room and you have no relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with the church and the rituals, or you might have heard Jesus died for your sins and that's it. You might know a couple of Bible stories because you saw a picture or maybe you saw veggie tales. I don't know. Knowing about God is not the same as knowing Him. It's only when you surrender your life to call it out. You say, Lord, I've sinned against you, and I surrender my life to you. Wherever it is, I believe that Jesus died on the cross of my sins. God, you rose me the third day. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you. That's how we hold it. the race walked out for me. I'm just going to start. That's where the Spirit of God is awakening you. Today, if that's you, and you're trusting him right now, why don't you go and tell us that's exactly what you did in this prayer time. If you're in this room and you need prayer for reconciliation or pray for others for reconciliation, now's the time to trust God. And here's the call. Do we need to ask God to help us to trust him through offenses? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Your word says, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So I want to pray, Lord, for anybody in this room, if there's time, we just need to come forward and say, Lord, I just need you to give me strength to trust. I just need you to give me strength to forgive. I need you to give me strength to maybe even go to a person that maybe I'm offended. I don't know. But Lord, just the strength to forgive. The strength to love the way you would have us to love. And, and loving is, is very difficult, love. Loving, uh, Lord, is very dangerous, Lord. It's, it's, it's scary to love. Lord, if there's a way that we need to come to you and ask, Lord, will you bring reconciliation into an area? Lord, only redemption can bring that. Only the redemption of Jesus can bring reconciliation. And yet, he calls to that ministry. So, Lord, I pray today over every one of us in this room as we just ask you to strengthen our trust in you. Because you did what we could not do. So that now we can do have a relationship with you that we never had. So we love you, Lord. Help us to trust. Though we were weak, you were strong. Though we might be poor in that trust, you were rich in your love and mercy. And I thank you, Lord, that whatever has happened against anybody, you saw fit to put that on Jesus. You took my sins and put it on him. Thank you. I can never repay all the wrongs that I've committed to you and to everyone else. 